January 31st, 1968. America settles in for the night. Hi, this is Johnny Carson. As you know, this is usual starting time for The Tonight Show. And tonight, my guest is the New Orleans District Attorney, Mr. Jim Garrison, who is with us to discuss, as he puts us, some new and vital information concerning the Kennedy assassination. But because of the critical war situation in Vietnam, especially around Saigon, NBC, for the next 15 minutes, is going to bring you a special news program via satellite. So stay with us. We'll return in 15 minutes with our guest, Mr. Garrison. NBC News presents Viet Cong Terror, a guerrilla offensive. Now, here is NBC News correspondent Frank McGee. The new communist campaign in Vietnam continues. Just after midnight their time, a band of Viet Cong raiders blew up a power installation and attacked two police stations in Saigon. Other small bands still roam the city. The Viet Cong are reported to be in complete control of a militant Buddhist headquarters less than a mile from the center of town. And there are reports that the National Liberation Front has formed a revolutionary council to run Saigon. At nearby Tonsonut Air Force Base, which is also American military headquarters, sporadic sniper fire continues to be heard. At Hue, the old imperial capital, 400 miles to the north, the Viet Cong is holding on to part of the town, as well as half the city of Kontum in the central highlands. Along the northern coastline, Nha Trang and Quy Nhon have come under fresh mortar fire. And earlier today, South Vietnamese President Thu declared martial law. It all amounts to the most ambitious series of communist attacks yet mounted, spreading violence into at least ten provincial capitals, plus American air bases and civilian installations stretching the entire length of the country. The Tet Offensive had begun, and news reports and pictures of it would make a significant impact. Coming up, President Lyndon Johnson deals with sharp opposition to the Vietnam War and makes a bold decision about his political future as one of America's most tumultuous years plays out. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. We begin on February 5th, 1968. President Johnson expressed his anger at coverage of the war with Washington Star White House correspondent Jack Horner. I don't admit that this is a communist victory. And I don't think anybody but a goddamn communist admits it. That's what I think. And I just think they're using this, just playing games around us. And nearly everybody I talk to tries to find out what's wrong with our boys, our country, our leadership, our men, our president's a liar, our Westmoreland's no good. Anybody that differs with him. When McNamara leaves, why, well, he becomes a hero. He was a goddamn just a uh, screwball you ever saw as long as he's in there. <laughs> And uh, that's just what's wrong. So you can just be sure from me that I've read every dime's worth of report that's come in here. There's not one thing to it. We are talking. We are telling them that they ought to release these people, and then we'll uh, uh, go into any collateral matter they want to go into. But uh, they have not agreed to one damn dime thing, or have we agreed to anything? Yes. And this South Korean doesn't know what he's doing. And furthermore, PAC... Uh, well, just to give you an illustration, and this is very much off the record, but purely for your guidance, uh, I wrote back a letter, and I said to him, I deeply resent these goddamn communists trying to assassinate you and trying to assassinate the American ambassador and his family. And I just want you to know we're trying to get our men back, and we're also going to put the... We've already answered them as far as you're concerned. We're putting the planes there to defend you. 
So uh, we're not going to throw it around and put it in the newspaper and raise hell because they'll say I'm bellicose and impetuous and overreacting and all that stuff. But we want you to know it. They said that the tears came to his eyes. They'd never seen a man so emotionally uh, uh, grateful and uh, just thought that uh, Johnson stayed with Holt and Johnson stays with his man. Then I read this son of a bitch cow, but ought to be shot. I wish Long would just take a pistol and work on him. He ought to. He gets out here and says the South Koreans, by God, are recalling their troops, and they're doing this and they're doing that. Now, that's the communist purpose. They want to divide us from our allies. They want to divert us from the Quezon attack. Now, we're not going to be either. Uh, but to this little uh, son of a bitch had never got in four miles of a front in his life is out here on CBS saying things. Now, how can I correct them? I just, uh, I hate the president be denying something like that, but it's just outrageous. Now, to, th to say that the South Koreans are disturbed about the assassination of their president, that's all right. Sure. And to say they're mad at the North Koreans, that's all right. But to come along and say they're pulling their troops out on account of Johnson. Now, there's no question but what they're going to be great efforts to make them do it. And it could be that Pack would do it. But I sure as hell don't think so, just like it could be that I'd pull out. But I sure don't think so. Yes. And could be I'd pull out of Germany with Mansfield raising hell. And I don't want to say I'm incredible if I did. But I just sure don't think I'm going to. And it's not at that stage now. And all they do is just help the enemy. Maybe because every communist in this town, Dobrynian just sitting here collecting this stuff and calling in Bill Fulbright and calling in uh, Joe Clark and calling in Bobby Kennedy and just spreading it every day. I saw an old betcha on television yesterday that the Soviet embassy has been giving money to, and we're just sitting here like the damn dumbbells. And if I get out and say something about it, I'm a McCarthy. And if I don't say something about it, my country's in a hell of a shape. So that's the, uh, that's the picture. Nine days later, the president called incoming Defense Secretary Clark Clifford to vent his frustration again. This time, it's with two outspoken Senate critics of the war, Robert Kennedy of New York and his brother Edward of Massachusetts. I know that Bob just deeply feels that, uh, that Teddy and Bobby are right, that the South Vietnamese are no goddamn good and they ought to do more and we ought to have a confrontation uh, uh, I think it's a hell of a poor time, though, uh, just before the day of election for you to divorce your wife. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say in that regard, I had uh, about 10 minutes with Bob yesterday that was awfully good, and I talked to him about that, and I said, Bob, we must postpone any ideological differences that exist. Our country and our president is facing a crisis now. Now, let's do everything we can, you and I together, to see that we win the battle. There'll be plenty of time after that, Bob, to talk about whether the Vietnamese are doing their share or whether we belong there or not. We're there. We're under pressure. We've got to win. He said, I agree to that 100%. Now, he said, I, I sure want to help do that. Uh, so maybe we can That's get good. a little of that well, in front of it. Well, I'm just thinking about now Utah is screwing the thing up and uh, just as much as he can, and he's their agent almost, and he's gone to Moscow and he didn't see anybody but some clerk. Then he dashed over and tried to put it to Wilson, and Wilson's no good, but he did at least tell us what's happening. Now he's going to run over and try to see De Gaulle, and they're going to come in and demand we stop bombing tomorrow. Now I think that there's about three things that ought to happen. I'm told of Rostow to discuss it with Rusk. I think that Rusk ought to have a backgrounder and say, now, the president said he was going to explore this. He has explored it. 
I can't get any details. But we went just as far as a human could, and they come up, and they have moved one inch. Now, we know that. Therefore, therefore, uh, since they have answered it with this murder, we cannot reward this kind of stuff. And therefore, we're going to clean this thing up before we do anything. Clean what thing? Well, uh, the Vietnam uh, uh, cities and the, the, the Kaesong battle, because old Utah's going to be here tomorrow morning demand we stop bombing. He's meeting Paris today, and he's got a new message now from North Vietnam. They've sent for him. And they're going to put the propaganda to us again. And it's going to be one of these uh, wills change to should, and should is changed to would. And they will meet now, not in six months, but in ten days. And they'll do nothing. But if we stop that bombing, we just sacrifice all of our men. A week later, outgoing Defense Secretary Robert McNamara called the president. He told him about the strong criticism he faced from three other Senate war critics, William Fulbright of Arkansas, Al Gore Sr. of Tennessee, and Eugene McCarthy of Minnesota. I don't anticipate uh, any serious trouble in the near future, although I think uh, they'll, Fulbright and Gore in particular will continue to try to, to uh, mislead the people as to what actually happened. Gore in particular was violent in his criticism of the whole affair. But uh, for the minute, the, the uh, debate is stilled, I think. Uh, uh, unless you feel we ought to be doing something more, I'm just going to let the matter drop for a while. Sure, I, I'd uh, try to prepare Dean. I've got that thing worked out, uh, I think, uh, uh, with a minimum damage. I think he'll have to have uh, five or ten minutes with each senator. They will establish that rule, and then... Uh, if he just says he wants to talk about that in the executive session, I think he can get rid of anything that's interesting or dynamite. Maybe the TV won't play it up much. What is Gore's basis? Does he have one thing that he hangs it on to no. besides his just intemperate? No, I, he's just intemperate, and I think his, his real objective is to disassociate himself from any responsibility for everything that's followed. Uh, which, of course, is Fulbright's as well. They want to prove that they were misled, and had they known at the time the facts of the Tonkin Gulf situation, they never would have supported the resolution and hence would not in any way be responsible for the escalation and, and military operations out there that has occurred since then. Mm -hmm. And if he can't hang it on one thing and you destroy the case on that, he pops up uh, two or three places uh, elsewhere with, with different arguments. Now, what is it? accuracy of McCarthy's statement is quoted all last night on television that uh, we invaded the territory. Absolutely false, Mr. President. That's why I, that was a good thing to hang the release of my statement on, because my statement covers that point very, very clearly and precisely. And uh, at the time that we were in the Gulf in August 64, North Vietnam had not claimed territorial waters beyond three miles. Neither then nor now do we recognize territorial waters beyond three miles. Uh, nor have other communist nations in certain cases claimed beyond three miles, and it's not right to say we should have expected that they would claim beyond three miles. Uh, Cuba, Poland, Yugoslavia, if I recall, claim less than 12 miles. On the 1st of September 1964, two or three weeks after the Tonkin Gulf incident, North Vietnam, for the first time that we've been able to find, claimed beyond three miles. They claimed 12 miles. All of this was very clearly laid out in my statement. McCarthy came in, 
after the beginning of the hearing. He didn't read the statement. He didn't listen to the testimony. He had no basis whatsoever for making that statement. After lunch, when I went, when I left you and went back, and uh, I told the committee that I had instructed the Pentagon to release my statement because of the statement that one of the members of the committee had made in UPI 109, a copy of which I had with me, they were shocked at what McCarthy had said. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that his statement isn't running this morning because, of course, the release of our statement that killed it. Then Fulbright got mad as hell uh, later in the day uh, the, at the fact that I had released my statement and uh, they didn't have anything to rebut it or counter it with, and he tried to poison the press last night and, and uh, did get to some of them, being very critical of my having unilaterally released the statement. But I think we got good press coverage. The wires last night were full of it, and uh, the Post and the Times and the Sun this morning uh, give it good play. I would make a point to be sure with your some friend of yours on the Post and the Times, too, that uh, you were forced to this when a man comes out, starts quoting parts of your testimony, and uh, you had no alternative after that, and, and then you don't want to get mixed up in campaign one way or the other either. And, I, uh, I did get the post to run that specific statement. It runs yeah. at the end of Warren Hunter's article. Yeah, that's, article. Good. that's good. That's what they're doing. And get I sold it to the Times, but they didn't run it. Mm-hmm. That's good. Okay, that's fine. Fighting in Vietnam was intensifying. The country's already strong anti-war sentiment was growing. And in an unprecedented affront to a sitting president, both Eugene McCarthy and Robert Kennedy had announced they were running to take Lyndon Johnson's job. On February 27th, CBS News aired an hour-long primetime special on the war, anchored by Walter Cronkite. He ended his report with this conclusion. Tonight, back in more familiar surroundings in New York, we'd like to sum up our findings in Vietnam, an analysis that must be speculative, personal, subjective. Who won and who lost in the great Tet Offensive against the cities? I'm not sure. The Viet Cong did not win by a knockout, but neither did we. And the referees of history may make it a draw. Another standoff may be coming in the big battles expected south of the demilitarized zone. Quezon could well fall with a terrible loss in American lives, prestige, and morale. And this is a tragedy of our stubbornness there. But the bastion no longer is a key to the rest of the northern regions, and it is doubtful that the American forces can be defeated across the breadth of the DMZ with any substantial loss of ground. Another standoff. On the political front, past performance gives no confidence that the Vietnamese government can cope with its problems, now compounded by the attack on the cities. It may not fall, it may hold on, but it probably won't show the dynamic qualities demanded of this young nation. Another standoff. We have been too often disappointed by the optimism of the American leaders, both in Vietnam and Washington, to have faith any longer in the silver linings they find in the darkest clouds. They may be right that Hanoi's winter-spring offensive has been forced by the communist realization that they could not win the longer war of attrition, and that the communists hope that any success in the offensive will improve their position for eventual negotiations. It would improve their position, and it would also require our realization that we should have had all along, that any negotiations must be that, negotiations, not the dictation of peace terms. For it seems now more certain than ever that the bloody experience of Vietnam is to end in a stalemate. This summer's almost certain standoff will either end in real give-and-take negotiations or terrible escalation. 
And for every means we have to escalate, the enemy can match us. And that applies to invasion of the North, the use of nuclear weapons, or the mere commitment of 100 or 200 or 300,000 more American troops to the battle. And with each escalation, the world comes closer to the brink of cosmic disaster. To say that we are closer to victory today is to believe, in the face of the evidence, the optimists who have been wrong in the past. To suggest we are on the edge of defeat is to yield to unreasonable pessimism. To say that we are mired in stalemate seems the only realistic, if unsatisfactory, conclusion. On the off chance the military and political analysts are right, in the next few months we must test the enemy's intentions in case this is indeed his last big gasp before negotiations. But it is increasingly clear to this reporter that the only rational way out then will be to negotiate, not as victors, but as an honorable people who lived up to their pledge to defend democracy and did the best they could. This is Walter Cronkite. Good night. With TV images from the war telling a different story than the administration line, Defense Secretary Clifford called the president on March 20th with an offer from former National Security Advisor McGeorge Bundy. I had a telephone call from Mac Bundy yesterday, <clears throat> late in the afternoon. I thought he seemed exceedingly friendly and cooperative. Um, had no uh, sympathy whatsoever for Bobby's entry into the race. We had a little talk about the problems of Vietnam. He said we knew we were going through quite a difficult and critical period and made the offer, if he could be of any help at all, you only had to let him know and he would be glad to come down to help. Now, I pass it on to you because I thought you might want to consider the advisability, if you thought well of it, of calling him perhaps and asking him to come down. This is a very important speech that has to be written. I spent a couple of hours with Harry McPherson yesterday afternoon and I have the feeling that Maybe Mac could be quite useful during this particular... Yes, I think it'd be very good. I think what we've got to do, too, is uh, get out of the posture of just being the war candidate that McCarthy has put us in, and Bobby's putting us in, the kids are putting us in, and the papers are putting us in. Uh, Lindsay's out uh, advocating rebellions this morning and not responding to the draft and things of that kind. Mayor urges youth to aid war resistance, and they've got the four-column front-page pictures. Now, when the, when the head of the biggest city goes to doing things of that kind, uh, you've got to really look at the picture. And I think that if we could, uh, if we could get your better people, your young men, like I don't know who they are over there. I certainly don't want some of these civilians that are given us this trouble, but if we could get any, if we had any young men at all, I think good pastors one we ought to look at, the pew maybe, sit down with some of the Rusk's people, one or two there, maybe Habib and uh, perhaps Bill Bundy, right, and see what it is that we could uh, use with our left hand. Our right hand is uh, going after their jaw uh, with an offense uh, on the uh, war front, but we ought to have a peace front, too, uh, simultaneously, and use both fists, not just one, not to fight with one hand behind us, so that we can say we're the peace candidate, but we're the true peace candidate. We're not the Chamberlain peace. We're the Churchill peace. Uh, we're not the guy that 
uh, going to throw in the towel and let them take Athens. We are the Truman who stands up and finally uh, saves uh, Greece and Turkey from the communists. And uh, that, of course, uh, they have temporary peace. And if we surrendered, why, well, you'd have peace until they got their government installed. And then, by God, you'd have uh, uh, another bigger war than ever. A bigger one than ever. Now, we've got to develop that. But in order to do it, we've got to come up with something. Now, Goldberg's plan is not worth the damn. But if we could say that we're going to cut off uh, Hanoi and Haiphong for a period, a specific period, uh, we're not going to touch them. And if they'll cut off around the DMZ or some other area where it's just, where it's real reciprocation, then we'll respond and, and something of that type where it's really to our advantage, where the Russells just can't murder us. We ought to do that. We ought to have some kind of something peace because they're concluding now that we're getting in the shape and getting in pretty quick with uh, McNamara's peace talks and his, uh, his Harvard stuff and all the stuff that they're putting out. And you can see from Nitz's letter uh, where we're just the gold water of 68. That's right. That's right. And we can't take that. We can't That's take right. it and hold because people like Daly and them are not going to hold. Now they won't hold really right in there what it is. We're out to win, but we're not out to win the war. We're out to win the peace. That's right. And that's what we get. And what our slogan could very well be, win the peace with honor. And I think we've got to get that thought over. Now, I've been giving some consideration to offers of de-escalation. I don't know whether they have anything, but if we could begin to start a, a negotiation toward de-escalation, something to the effect that, now, if we could have an agreement with the with the, the North Vietnamese that we would uh, we would let Hanoi alone if they would let Saigon alone. Uh, I don't know that it's very practical, but considering something of that kind, we we can't stop. But if there's some program of gradual de-escalation that the parties could get into, we begin to get in a better posture. That's right. I don't think they can do it because their they're announced thing is to do this job this year, and that's why they're coming out of the woodworks and hitting us as they are, so they're not going to take anything off limits. But if we could take something off limits for a period, that didn't really hurt us. And it seems to me the weather's not too good anyway, and it seems to me that we could say, now we're going for several days, without hitting Hanoi and Haiphong. It seems that we've gone for two months without it. We ought to say that to the public, though. And we go in uh, with a sporadic raid. We don't get any real benefit out of it. But we say, now, we're going for that. But uh, uh, if you want to respond, well, you let us know, and we'll go to a Geneva conference or something. President Johnson and Defense Secretary Clark Clifford on March 20th, 1968. Three days later, the president called Joint Chiefs Chairman Earl Wheeler with more ideas on how to fight anti-war sentiments. I've got to find some alternatives to turn some of this thing around a little bit. If we don't, uh, we're going to be in trouble, and Vietnam is the only thing, and it just murdered me. Or a gallop this morning gives the, the young man uh, who wants to capitulate 44 to 41 to us, and that's just, it's just happened in three weeks here. We are, we are way down, and he's up just on Vietnam, and we've got to, the publicity's been bad. We've lost everything. We didn't know it was going to happen. We got caught, and most of it's lies. But anyway, it's out, and the press is just not with us, as anybody must see that turns it on. And now, we've got to turn it around, and maybe when Westmoreland goes up here and testifies a little bit, maybe an Abrams takes a little approach. Maybe some of this prejudice will get away from us. Uh, 
I don't know, but we've got to. If we don't, why, we are not going to get any support. I've got 140 people here that say they're not going to support us in the House of Representatives. Uh, we still got Russell, and we still got to, what's called, I don't know whether we'd have them if we had Clark's 20th parallel thing very long. I think maybe we would for two weeks, but there's a lot of them. That's right, but we've got to find something to put these folks in the hole and make them. Then they don't want any peace stall, but we, they, they, we haven't we haven't got that on them yet. Uh, Hanoi doesn't want peace, but we after the pause we proved that didn't, and we got a long ride. But we haven't had anything for a long time. And when a dog's biting at you, and a mad dog, you got to give them a hamburger to stop them eat once in a while. Yes, sir. God bless you. Thank you, Mr. President. Bye, sir. But with a fractured Democratic Party and low approval ratings with the American people, President Johnson decided it was time to change course. And on March 31st, he announced he had made a historic choice. With America's sons in the field far away, with America's future under challenge right here at home, with our hopes and the world's hopes for peace and the balance every day, I do not believe that I should devote an hour or a day of my time to any personal partisan causes or to any duties other than the awesome duties of this office, the presidency of your country. Accordingly, I shall not seek And I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. But let men everywhere know, however, that a strong and a confident and a vigilant America stands ready tonight to seek an honorable peace and stands ready tonight to defend an honored cause, whatever the price, whatever the burden, whatever the sacrifice that duty may require. The president's decision would create political chaos for the Democrats, but for the country, the worst was yet to come. Good evening. Dr. Martin Luther King, the apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. Police have issued an all-points bulletin for a well-dressed young white man seen running from the scene. Officers also reportedly chased and fired on a radio-equipped car containing two white men. Dr. King was standing on the balcony of a second-floor hotel room tonight when, according to a companion, a shot was fired from across the street. In the friend's words, the bullet exploded in his face. Police, who have been keeping a close watch over the Nobel Peace Prize winner because of Memphis' turbulent racial situation, were on the scene almost immediately. They rushed the 39-year-old Negro leader to a hospital where he died of a bullet wound in the neck. Police said they found a high-powered hunting rifle. Senator Kennedy has been shot. Is that possible? Is that possible? It is possible, ladies and gentlemen. It is possible. He has. Not only Senator Kennedy. Oh, my God. Senator Kennedy has been shot, and another man, a Kennedy campaign manager, and possibly shot in the head. I am right here. Rayford Johnson has a hold of a man who apparently has fired the shot. That's it, Rayford. Get it. Get the 
the gun, Raper. Okay, now hold on to the guy. Hold on to him. Hold on to him, ladies and gentlemen. Hold him. Hold him. We don't want another Oswald. Hold him, Raper. We don't want another Oswald. Hold him, Raper. Keep people away from him. Keep people away from him. But there was more. When Democrats gathered in Chicago at the end of August for their party's convention, thousands of anti-war protesters were there waiting for them. And what started as peaceful demonstrations soon turned violent. While police and protesters clashed outside the convention hall, inside, the scene was just as chaotic. This is John Chancellor on the floor. I'm looking down at Edwin Newman in the middle of a huge bunch of security people. How this, how this got started, we don't know. Your microphone is broken, Ed. There's a lot of pushing. The man being pushed, watch it, they're going to knock that over. The man is a delegate. Hey, Check with our state chairman. He's an elected delegate. What are you trying to strong arm stuff? He's an elected delegate. You are. Check with the delegate. Where are the rules that say we must show him every minute? Who the hell are you? Are you the one they're trying to throw out? Yes, I am. Why are they trying to throw you out? I object to their behavior. Thank you, pardon? I object to their behavior. Secret Service, push. He's an elected They're shouting Secret Service, push here. Although we are told that these are anti-frame operatives and nobody is wearing the usual insignia of the Secret Service. Are you going to do anything about this? Where is he from then? Get that. One delegation. New York. How did it get started? Do you know? They keep coming around all day checking our credentials. And it's time they stop. There is nothing in the rules of the Democratic Party that says they have a right to check us every 10 minutes. They have harassed us an entire day. On August 29th, the convention's final day, the president called CBS executive Frank Stanton angry over what he felt was biased news coverage. Frank, I wanted to tell you, I, I hang my head in shame at the industry, and particularly at Cronkite and uh, the, what I would say, uh, very unfair, personalized uh, reporting of, uh, of these fellows. And I think that you, you ought to know that opinion because you're going to be disappointed in me down the road if I didn't tell you that. I'm just telling you frankly that I think your industry is wrecking all of us. Now, uh, because I think, first of all, you all have political motives to serve. I don't think you do, but I know he does. I, I, I've looked at the reports on him. I know that, uh, I know that some of Paley's son-in-law does. I know that your, some of your reporters do. As do NBC. Uh, you haven't hired Bobby's secretary yet, but you've got some of the same crowd. And I think you have evil influences working. So I just want to suggest to you that there's one who loves you and respects you, and who's had 40 years of this experience, that I hang my head in shame at, at y'all's performance. Both NBC and CBS, and particularly Cronkite, for his bitterness and uh, his... Uh, is a failure to be fair and objective. Uh, I thought Daly just made a perfect ass of him. 
You've got men with their eyes out and their legs broken, you never dare show it. And the reason is, I think, because you have a superior influence that you don't recognize. You just sit at the top of it, and you really don't know what's happening in your own shop, just as we didn't know until we had to get rid of three or four in hours who are using this medium to serve ulterior motives. Now, I, I believe that. I think my country's in danger. And I think I ought to say that. The second thing I ought to say to you is I cannot understand why 90% of the interviews come from New York and California. I've not seen one interview from Arkansas. I've not seen one, one interview from Idaho. I've not seen one interview from Wyoming. I've not seen one interview from over this country. I've just seen this pure damn propaganda of the Kennedy machine. And you've seen it. Well, uh, you, you ought to know that. Now I'm going to raise hell. I'm going to I'm going to bottom of this, and I know I'm going to be called a McCarthy. But you you uh, uh, you you entitled to know the facts and the truth, and uh, uh, I have such respect for you and such affection for you that I want you to know that I believe all of this has been planned weeks ahead of time, and you all have been the stooge of it and the tool of it, and I think you've been very one-sided. And there's not a thing in the world I got to gain. I moved out of it in March just for this reason. But whatever little time I've got here, uh, I don't have to be at the mercy of people who are using the nation's airways for their personal benefit, for their personal political benefit. I know what Cronkite did before Bobby's death. I know he came there, and I know he's been used, and I know he's using my station and your stations uh, to carry out these uh, these things. And uh, the McCarthy's and the McGoverns are fine. We got to be, we got to give them all equal and fair treatment. But you haven't done that. You just haven't done it. You've just specialized in New York and California. I think you've been a little generous with Connolly. We have no complaint on Texas. But I do not think you've covered the rest of the nation. If the state of Washington is represented the convention, I don't know anything about it. We have Maggie on. Well, it's a <laughs> if you don't get the point, you just uh, you just take the film of this and see your interviews and see the questions you ask them and how you approach them. And if you think that's objective, then you and I have got different views. And if you can if you can defend if you can defend Cronkite, Mudd, the whole outfit, uh, 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 rather, if you can defend him up there with the Daily Delegation a while ago, if you can defend that as objective, uh, then the, you and I look at it differently. No, I, I'm not defending that at all. I, I think that they're there crusading and using a network to do it. And I think a reporter is a reporter. And I don't, I don't think they are. But I'm not calling you to... Uh, to uh, uh, criticize something that's happened to me, I'm just calling you as someone that I think will call me uh, when our industry gets in serious trouble, and I think you're making trouble for the South. And I think they ought to take those 50 states and those five or six territories, and they ought to try to get a balanced viewpoint. And if they want to get an opinion on McCarthy or McGovern or the vice president or, or the nominee, that's good and proper. But when they come in there and say, don't you think so-and-so is happening, what about so-and-so, uh, I just don't think it's right. And I haven't found one human being, and I guess I've sat with a hundred that said it. And every damn one of them think you all ought to be run completely out of power. And that, that frightened me, because I don't want to see them run out. That frightened me, too. They think, they think there's some New Yorkers of a certain group 
that have taken over this thing and are using it for political purposes, and I do too. I think Brinkman and Cronkite both have been used for political purposes. They've had a few cocktails, a few miniskirts, been out in the scene of sailboat, and had a little, a little political thing to them. Now, I just suggest that you get them out in some of these states. Governor Guy is head of the governor's conference. I haven't seen him interviewed. Hubert Ellington's been head of it. I haven't seen him interviewed. They're just governors all over the outfit. And you know what they tell me? John Connolly set up a group to go and tell your people that each one of these folks are ready with a statement interview. And they go to New York and California. Now, all this is going to be looked into, Frank. And uh, uh, all of us are going to have to explain this. And uh, the only test I would use is objectivity. And if these reporters got to get their personal society politics in this thing, I'd damn sure tell them that it's dangerous business and they're playing with fire. A week later, Chicago Mayor Richard Daley called the president to talk about the violence. He explained that he thought several activist groups had made a coordinated plan to cause chaos at the convention. Mr. President, I just want to say hello to you. Glad, I'm sorry I missed you yesterday. Well, I know you've been pretty busy. Well, no, fine. I called my attorney general last night and had a long talk with him about your problem. I I had a note when uh, I I got through. I had a a real rough day yesterday, but today is going to be quite a light one, and I'm going to get caught up with everything. I used my Saturdays to get caught up. You know what I'm trying to do? These fellows that have been harassing you for a year and a half, I think we got the dope on them once and for all and a conspiracy to riot mm-hmm. and if the attorney general goes along with us i deal with, think we'll expose the rennie day davises we'll expose the tatons we'll expose the rubens we'll expose the shebagans we'll expose the whole goddamn outfit and that mobilization mm-hmm. for peace in vietnam mm-hmm. and we'll also include some of mccarthy's friends yep and yeah. they'll tell himself because if it were ever a planned thing and all these incidents affected you yeah. and you moved around this country this is it yeah, yeah. And they had the whole thing set for Johnson on Tuesday and Johnson on Wednesday. Yeah. And we got the raw steel, but I think we're coming out. I don't think they're fooling the American people. Well, uh, I uh, I believe that you, the, that there's been a great revulsion in the country as a result of your calling their hand. And I think the country is, is uh, uh, for the first time, has seen what the network's been doing and what what these revolutionaries have been doing. Now, did you see the, the story yesterday? They're trying to cover it up now, but they violated a bunch of laws. They had hidden microphones in the platform yes. committee. Our whole town was bugged, including my rooms and everything else. Every, every, everyone. Well, that's just disgraceful. They ought to indict some folks on that. I told him last night that they ought to do that. I, I don't uh, think there's any doubt but what they should, Mr. I noticed CBS was down in Dallas, and they went to the same uh, post office box that Oswald had, and they rented a box down there, and uh, this goddamn Cronkite crowd, and uh, they wrote a letter to outfit up in Chicago trying to get a, a gun, and they were going to prove that... Uh, that uh, you could uh, mail order guns, what all you could do, and yeah. they caught them in that, and they've exposed that now. It hadn't been in the paper. I think it ought to be, but uh, CBS, uh, uh, there's a conspiracy between the two of them. Well, I yeah. think you've got some pinks operating both outfits. I think I think you're right, and I think it's in the whole medium of communication, and I uh, I think they did a savage job on you and an unfair job. They've been doing it for the last year and a half, but if if, if the attorney general will only stand up, we will turn up with a conspiracy 
all and show and and reveal it with documentation and with evidence in fact we don't want to go after anyone on a witch hunt but gosh darn it mr president i think these people should be exposed to the entire nation and show what you've been up against for the last year and a half when you go about this country organized behind it tommy they tell me that this guy dillinger talked here on tuesday and they broadcasted into miami uh from havana on wednesday we're trying to get that through the u.s information office the broadcast well this has happened now all of these guys who are leader out here contrary to the government were in hanoi now now uh, by god if if this is going to exist in our country then i'm going to fight the damn thing whether i ever hold office or go out of this when i haven't you had a pretty good reaction out there we got a terrific reaction we published a and i'm going to send you a copy of it a strategy of confrontation and we published it last night in which it documents dates going back to november 67 what they said they were going to do to chicago they met Dick, I told Peter Lissagore, who writes for the Chicago Papers, you didn't demand this convention. You didn't raise any hell about the convention. There were three proposals to the convention. Uh, one of them was Miami. The arrangements committee said they didn't want to go to Miami because it was a messy thing. They had a Republican governor. They didn't know what had happened. They stretched out all over the country, a lot of luxury operation, and they they couldn't have the facilities they wanted. Then the next one was Roy Hoffines in Houston. And I just said that we th- thought that the president's from Texas and that if they went to Texas, they, they just raise hell and try to create a big disturbance and everything else. So the committee told them they didn't want it. So the third place was Chicago, but that uh, you hadn't forced anybody to come to Chicago. Oh, they were in trying to tell me that that you had, uh, I was your puppet and you had made me come to Chicago. And I said, Daley didn't urge me to do it. He didn't put any pressure on me one way or the other. That's right. I told Lesago that yesterday. Well, I, I think that uh, we're coming. We're gonna. We're putting on a show a week from tomorrow, Sunday night, through WGN, but we're getting all the independent stations all over the country that want to be a part of it. Dick, have you got any have you got any pictures of this crowd that they didn't use that you can show that yeah, here's, 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 here's what they were chanting and here's what they were saying yeah, and, we, and, and, and they wouldn't use them? Isn't it an amazing thing, Mr. President? No medium carried a picture when they had them of them lowering the American flag and burning it. And you see what happened there. Some of our fellows that are policemen have sons in Vietnam. Some of them lost their boys. So anyone with any American blood, when he saw that, they went in. And goddammit, I'd stand behind them until the end. And they whacked the hell out of them and raised the, they raised the Viet Cong flag. Our fellows tore it down and raised the American flag. But there wasn't a picture in no, a place shown. We're going to show that. We're going to show it on this show a week from That's good. That's good. We saved Dr. Abernathy, but he won't admit it, and his mule team, he rushed to the commander and he said, please get my people out of here. These men are are wild terrorists, and they're going to tear the Conrad Hilton down. This was the occasion at Balboa, Michigan, and believe it or not, Mr. President, that only lasted 18 minutes, and they marched down the street, linked arms, and there was never a picture of the marching down the street all the way across Michigan Avenue, linked arms, and then they sat in the center of the street. And in one picture, they printed police brutality. The policeman was hitting a fellow with a baton, and the fellow was biting his leg. He bought a bit of big chunk of flesh out of the poor policeman's leg. The fellow went to the hospital. This was brutality. Another one, a girl and a boy 
injured, and the father called me up personally. God damn it, Mary, he said, what kind of people we got here? Please save my daughter and my son from being killed by a window pane that was broken in by these terrorists. They weren't in there. They weren't hippies. They weren't in this crowd. And for them to print pictures that this is another example of police brutality is the most shocking thing to me. I've telegrammed, I've called them, and he said, God damn it, they better retract it. And his kids, uh, they got some 40-year-old kids, 50-year-old kids. Uh, Mr. Old. President, 643 were, uh, were uh, uh, arrested and 200 were less than 21 years of age. And of the 643, 150 lived in Chicago. 11 of them lived out of the country. We got a tape on an editor from a Toronto paper in which he's up denouncing the Johnson administration, the Daily and the establishment, and said he joined the hippies and he'd take part in the march that would march to the amphitheater and disrupt the convention. This is a guy from Toronto. Doesn't even live in our country. So we've got to think, if we just get a little help from from our friend down there and he doesn't get too... Well, he doesn't uh, see this as you and I no, see it, and no. we just uh, I just worked on him a long time last night and told he him that I wanted... He doesn't see it the way his daddy would see it. No, either. not at all, not at all. That's a... That's the thing. We may have a blow-up on that. Some of our candidates are weak, too, on this thing. They're yes. talking out of both sides of their mouth. That's right. I, I'm for them winning. I'll do anything. But, God damn it, in my opinion, in this business, you have to stand up for principle when you see it, whether you win or lose. You've got to. I'll tell you one that's not weak. It's old man Dirksen. Old man Dirksen. Oh, he was in pounding the table, and he said, I'm a daily man. By God, he stood up, and he I, stood up he like got a... to do it. He didn't run a bit. He didn't run, and, and that's his makeup, and he's a hell of a guy. And that's not get ourselves. You've always said that, and we can't dispute it. He doesn't run. He just stands and takes his position. What specifically do you want this fellow to do that he's not done? Just now? as long as he does not interfere with the fellow that... Well, we called the FBI last night. You've got to make your fellows get along with them as well as you can. They say they got 700 people to interview. They've got 400 already interviewed. Uh, Clark says it'll take four weeks, and he's told them they've got to have an answer in four weeks. Well, you see, the only thing is a need to stop that he gave the order last week only on police brutality. Yeah. And then they came to the policemen, and it was an insult to them, Mr. President. Yeah. They wanted them to send, sign an affidavit under the Esposito and Miranda case, which says you're entitled to a lawyer when you're being charged with a crime. And I told them to tell them to go to hell. Yeah. And if this was their idea, but we worked it out locally. Our corporation counsel talked to the district attorney. The district attorney talked to the FBI man. The FBI man is a very good man. He said, I'm under direct instruction, but I agree with you. I, I don't want to be going to policemen and ask them to sign a, a affidavit that you do as a criminal. He said, what the hell? We're cooperating. And he said, yeah, there, was, there might be excess. Well, what are you going to do if someone hits you with human manure in the face? You're going to stand there or, or hit you with human? See, they were throwing bags of, of manure in the face. They were throwing bags of urine. And then they were calling. You should know the language, Mr. President. Oh, I know, I know, I know it. Four o'clock, words yeah. that you wouldn't repeat, you know. Yeah, that's right. Chicago Mayor Richard Daly and LBJ on September 7th, 1968. You know what I think? I think they're getting money from the OEO. Well, I wish you'd prove that. Now, you see what we've done down here. I made them turn over those records. You've been telling me all the time about that organization, but I made them turn them over to the McClellan Committee yesterday. I'm glad you did, because this has been the one thing that's been concerning me all over the country. They've, they've used this money, and some people say that they got a lot of the cash. They were cash in $100 bills. They got it from Lindsay. 
And they say that a lot of those OEO people were out here and their expenses was paid. He admitted that this one fellow, Hoffman, is still on his payroll. And uh, he's going to keep him on the payroll. So I, I don't know how the hell we reach into that, but I'm convinced that the whole setup in New York is a payoff. They're paying uh, tribute for peace. And they've got your whole OEO written with directors of those non-for-profit corporations getting ten to 15000 a year for not doing a goddamn thing. The only thing they're doing is, is buying these civil rights leaders so that they're supposedly... Keeping I think that's right. I think that's exactly right. And I think it's Shriver and Bobby set that damn thing up. Uh, as a political organization... That office you're talking about, they haven't been with you since 1963. They were never with you. I think that's right. And they, they've undermined and undercut and the whole goddamn outfit is. And I don't understand this fella, present fella, that father is a hell of a guy that he can't see what they've been doing to you for the last uh, four, three or four years. And we talked about that, goddammit, it's a disgrace. Half those guys down there showed it, they're not on your team, never were on your team. That's right. But uh, I, I think with the help of God, we're going to come out all right. And, and uh, first, no one points it out. We didn't lose a life. We didn't have anyone shot. And, and I think this was a great tribute to the police department and to everyone else, I think. Uh, CBS moved half of its equipment from the amphitheater to the Conrad Hilton at 4 o'clock that afternoon, anticipating this trouble. And they knew that the trouble was going to be... See, they couldn't make it out to the end. The idea was to go to the amphitheater and then go through our neighborhood, and God love them. We're just humble people, Mr. President, but we had your picture in the American flag all the way down the different streets and I knew that if they went out there our kids wouldn't stand for it because some of them would come back and they'd wail into those guys there'd be a hell of a, a squabble and then they wanted to they had the plan to turn down the fence and then rush it in and the delegates from New York and California and Wisconsin were a part of it including New Hampshire they were to create, create the trouble inside the other guys were to tear the fence down outside and this was all in their plans, and we get the whole goddamn thing written out. All someone has to do is sit down and look at it. Well, I want to see your film. Uh, when's it going to be on? Uh, we'll be on a week from tomorrow night. Uh, don't you let them get you on one of these damn panels. Oh, uh, uh, that's, that's for the birdies. That's good for Cronkite. You just run Cronkite. You did we the... had a hell of a time getting that tape. They didn't want to give it to us. And I sent them a letter demanding it. They didn't, they didn't want to give us that interview with Conkray, Conkray, what the hell his name is. We're going to put it into the thing next uh, week. And they said no at first. And then I said, well, this is a fine goddamn quasi-public organization. You say no to free time, and now all I want is a copy of the tape that I participated in, and your answer is no. Well, they had to talk to their lawyers, and they talked to their lawyers, and I said, well, if you don't demand, if you don't do it, I'll go into the FCC and goddamn it, I'll get it someplace. So they finally, last night, they agreed to to give us a copy of it. But this is an arrogant outfit that will they won't even give you a copy of a tape. I think you ought to have somebody raising hell about them putting bugs around the NBC. I think it'll just prejudice the country against them, and you ought to have some citizens giving out well, I think about. I think Hal should follow it up and and ask that warrants be issued, as you say, through the Justice yeah. Department. I think that this is another place where Clark has to act. Well, Clark fell out here, like, God damn it. He's a little, uh, not a little, he's a 
small man. He was a naval bomber during World War II and had about four and a half years of service. And the fellow was making, I told you, seventy-five to $100,000 a year as a lawyer. So he don't give a damn about the job, and Clark knows it. He, he just went in there. Well, get him a good fellow to advise him, and then... No, they were right. talking about pointing some special assistant, Clark, to send yeah. him out here. Well, yeah. the guys he's talking to are all tied up with the opposition. Yeah. So we don't want that. No. No, well, if we get a special assistant, we get one out there. Yeah. Well, it's nice to talk to Thank you, Mayor. How are you keeping your chin up, all right? <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, Pretty good. You're, you're, you're doing a good job, and you've done a good job, and we're going to, if we can get a little help, we'll expose these people for the first time, and we'll tell the whole story about yourself and what they've been doing. Thank you, Mayor. I see you. Say hello to Lady Brown. From September 7th, 1968, President Johnson and Chicago Mayor Richard Daley. The President and Mayor Daley talked again on December 4th about a report by attorney Daniel Walker on the Chicago violence. Mayor Daley also asked the president to encourage Attorney General Ramsey Clark to indict protest leaders Abby Hoffman, Tom Hayden, and David Dellinger. Clark is inclined not to want to indict for a conspiracy to riot the fellows that have been plaguing you for three or four years, Dillinger and Hayden and Davis and Hoffman. I wonder if you try to bolster them up a little bit and say, see, if, if we don't, they lend up all they'll indict is, is uh, Chicago policemen, and they let the people who caused the riots out here go scot-free. Yeah. I, I just wonder what... Uh, what does, does, our, does our district attorney have uh, the evidence that he thinks he well, needs he on has, these? He has the evidence, and, and he has to get the okay of the attorney general. And he's down there today, and, and the uh, word around is the attorney general won't approve it. But, gee, it'd be a terrible travesty on justice if we can't bring the Dillingers and the Haydens and the Davises and the Hoffmans, all these guys have been chasing you around and uh, insurrection at the Pentagon and at the White House and everything else. We got He's got an iron and cat play case against them on a conspiracy to riot. And he's got all the evidence and everything else. All we have to do is get the green light from the Attorney General to go ahead. I don't. I think if he doesn't get it, I don't know what this attorney general will do. We'll talk to him, but I yeah. think if he doesn't get it, he ought to go on anyway. Well, he can't under the recent Civil Rights Act. You, you, uh, you have to have the permission of the attorney general. That was put in there before you can get get indictments under this Civil Rights uh, Act, and that's where he's trying them on a conspiracy to violate the the uh, civil rights of other people. And this was put in in the last uh, session of the legislature with a distinct uh, provision that the attorney general must okay it. So it what's, what's the back background of this fellow, Walker? Well, he's a, he's a uh, you know, one of these uh, fellows always on the left and the fringe and always against everyone. He was, a, he was in Stevenson's cabinet. And he's a uh, one of these uh, pseudo-liberals that... You know, lives up in Kenilworth, comes in and sheds his crocodile tears for the people in Chicago. He did a hell of a hatchet job. I knew as soon as they appointed him, we were dead. Because all he did was take uh, comments from people, and he has no substantiation. He has no identification. He has no follow-up at all. All he did is take statements. Anyone could make a statement, and he put it in the report. He's a bad man. He's attorney for... Uh, Montgomery Ward, and they're getting a hell of a going over from a lot of people who are really incensed in Chicago. But I was hoping that we'd get a chance. If, if we 
if we come out with the indictments of these men, it'll sort of justify us that we come out just with the indictment of policemen, and we're dead. Are they going to indict some policemen? Yes, they are. Have they got a case on them? Uh, they think they have. And uh, this, will, this will really be bad. But we're letting the fellows that are really responsible for this whole thing go scot-free. Yeah. And if you can help, I'd appreciate yeah. it. How are you feeling yourself? I feel good. I feel good. And uh, I'll get on. I'll get back to you. Thanks. Thanks, Mr. From December 4th, 1968, President Johnson and Chicago Mayor Richard Daley. Vice President Hubert Humphrey ended up being the Democratic nominee in 1968. America's involvement in Vietnam didn't end until 1975. Total casualties numbered more than 58,000. On January 14, 1969, after 32 years as a congressman, senator, vice president, and president, Lyndon Johnson said goodbye. And now it's time to leave. I hope it may be said a hundred years from now, That by working together, we help to make our country more just. More just for all of its people, as well as to ensure and guarantee the blessings of liberty for all of our posterity. That's what I hope. But I believe... that at least it will be said that we tried. He passed away at his Texas ranch on January 22, 1973. The Lyndon B. Johnson Presidential Library and Foundation, along with the University of Virginia Miller Center, have more conversations from the Johnson presidency. You can find them at lbjtapes.org.